uh, and welcome to my special guest, Angelo Cataldi. The song always gets people. <laughs> Pretty cool. Liked it. I actually think it was a, it was a song we wrote for a, uh, a radio broadcast we did years ago, probably right about when you first started. I, it was probably late 80s. Um, we were doing this talk show, and uh, I, for those who don't know Angelo from around the country, um, you definitely know him if you're from the Philadelphia area. He has been the talk show host uh, for Sports Talk on WIP Radio since the late 80s and consistently number one for his entire career. He and his team uh, provide a lot of entertainment, a lot of uh, information, and uh, I guess that would be my first question. I mean, your background was as a writer. Came from Rhode Island to Philadelphia, started as a writer. And I remember the days when you teamed up with football legend Tom Brookshire. And, and that's oh. when you started. Well, that's he he really gave us the opportunity. We we started in 88 as uh, part-timers, just doing a one-hour show called the Morning Sports Page. And um, he must have heard something we didn't. There's one of two possibilities. Either he actually saw some potential, and me and Al and some of the other guys from the Acquirer, Oh, he was so desperate to find anyone to fill 24 hours in a brand new sports format that he took whoever he could get. Probably more the latter than the former, but we went in cold. When I mean cold, we had zero experience as radio people. You know, it was about the same time. I started on KYW January of 88. I was my third year of residency. So literally my scripts were approved by my program director of the residency before I ever went on. And the gentleman put me on board, um, a guy named Scott Herman, um, hired me. And when he did, I had to spend like six months just trying out writing scripts, practicing until he said, all right, I'll put you on. It, it's changed a lot since then. And yet I think people who had that desire to learn and learn on the air, sometimes it's the best way to do it. Well, it is unless um, – see, the thing was, we, it, we burned all the tapes of those early years, right? Believe me, Doc, they were awful. If you would have listened to us now, you go, wow, we really got our education making all the mistakes right in front of everybody. But it was such a brand new format when it first came out that there was nothing to compare us to. So no one realized how awful we were. But when we look back and now can, we're more of a finished product after 30, 34 years, um, we could go, wow, they kept listening. Why would they doing that? they must have very low standards for sports conversation. <laughs> and that's how we got through until we figured it out. But it, it took a while. It took a long while. We did not go through the normal you know, channels to make it up to where you do. One of my favorite stories indirectly relates to you. Um, it was probably the early 2000s. My son must have been about 10. And I remember uh, Donovan McNabb had sustained an ankle injury. I remember this much. And I remember... My, my, I was taking my son, and I'm going to be in the Fox box. Honey, it's going to be safe. Don't worry about it. But it's kind of crazy down there. I said, it'll be fine. Count on me. I'm his dad. I won't let anything happen. I'm walking through the parking lot, and Rhea Yu sees me. Says, hey, Doc, how are you? I go, hey, Rhea, good to see you. How are you? And she said, well, would you join us in the tent? I said, well, <laughs> well, we need somebody to talk about Donovan McNabb's ankle. And I said, sure, I'd love to come in. So there was a player there. It may have been... I'm not sure exactly who it was, but there was a player, there was a lineman who was hurt, who immediately started talking to my son, just treated him like gold. You were there asking me, you and Howard were there asking me questions. And I said, um, honestly, I think they may have him play. 
um, and, and Howard said, there's no way he's going to play. I said, well, I know I used to hang out with Art Bartolozzi. They, they, you know, they, they, he might be able to play. I really do think he's going to play. And he goes, well, what do you know that you shoved in? He's a doctor. Would you give him a break? <laughs> he knows more than you, Howard. You guys are battling. But the best part was at, at a certain point, somebody came up. It might have been the Rams, but was wearing the opposing team's jersey. And every and you said, look at him. And everybody starts cursing at him and booing him. And my son just loved it. I mean, he, he, to this day, he remembers being Ted. And, and I got home all day, and my wife said to me, uh, so you took care of Brian. I said, oh, yeah, everything's fine. That's great. Really? I said, oh, you might have heard some salty language. Because I was listening to the radio. And I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, and we had our favorite stories because it was basically indoctrinating him to Philadelphia sports. It was harmless. It was fun. But it was that whole sports energy. And, you know, he talks about that. It was so cool to be in that world. And, and that's kind of the world. I mean, you help create. Play yeah. with it. Have fun with it. Well, here's the thing. That was the extreme of that world. That was the tent before the Eagles game. And if it's like most of the tent shows we did, I did maybe 20 years in that tent before Eagles games. And it was an absolute insanity. They would, the later the game, the more drunk they were and the more profane they were. And we, we had to keep our hand on the dump button the whole time. And uh, I'm sorry you got caught in the crossfire. That player that was there was Hollis Thomas. He was injured that year. Okay. And, um, and and your expertise, though, did he? Did Donovan play in that game? He ended up playing in the game. <laughs> <laughs> we beat Howard, didn't we? Good one, Doc. And it was funny. rely on a good doctor. <laughs> well, it was fun, and you know, and it was great. It was a great time, and I think, but it, but what it also showed was. I was watching at the time, not thinking about it, looking back for this interview, you bonded with the fans. I mean, you have become one of the fans in the sense that you, you keep the conversation going, but you do have a passion. Yeah, it was an evolution. I started as a journalist there because I had been a newspaper guy for a long time. And um, the more I did, the more I got closer to the fan base because they were paying my bills, really. If they were listening, I was staying in business. And if they weren't listening, I was done. And by now, now I feel like there's a bond as much with them as with the station or with my co-hosts or with anyone else. I sit every day and answer up to 100, 200 emails. I give my email address out every day on the air because I feel a, a real affection for what they did over the years. Um, and they became, they kind of met me not halfway, but part of the way. They're not quite as insane as they were that day in the tent. They're more logical now, but still not real logical. You know, they're, they're still Philadelphia sports fan. But it's that's been the best part of the job for me. I'm not a very outgoing person. Um, I was basically, I was thrown into these situations with a bunch of crazed fans and over a long period of time developed a close kinship with them. You know, I, I had the honor of having Ray Dittinger on this program. A number of people who actually are retiring this year, as you are, Jim Gardner joined me. And it's like, it's really legends of broadcasting. And when I asked Ray, I said, you know, you know you're know, you retiring and, you know, what made you make the decision? He thought of factors, but he talked about his daughter and things. But what he said was, or his granddaughter, wanting to see her play. But what he said was the... He came full circle with the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. For him, 
he, he said, I don't know if I would have retired if I didn't see them win the Super Bowl. Maybe I'd still be doing it. In your eyes, that had to be important as well. All those years, all those games, all those NFL champ, NFC championships followed by failure. Oh, 100%, Doc. Doc, I think I'm in the same boat. My ultimate dream was to see an Eagle championship. It was improbable when it finally did happen. But, you know, I in a way, I regret that that wasn't my last show, the day of the parade, because my plan was to leave even before that. And I kept kind of getting called back in. Um, they pay a real good wage, and I didn't have a plan for retirement. So I kept getting talked out of it. But I've done four years since then, and I'm proud of the work we've all done. But if you really wanted to go out at the peak moment in Philadelphia sports history, it was the week after they won the Super Bowl, including the parade. And, you know, if I had to rewrite the script, I think I would have just on the spot with no one being ready for it have gone. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this was the ultimate dream. Thank you for listening all these years. Goodbye. And well, walk and you look at it, you think I was uh, watching Jay Wright's retirement. And yeah. you know, it just came out of nowhere. He felt he had done what he did. And I looked at it and said, so few people do that. Johnny Carson did it. Yeah. You know, very few people just go out on top. Yeah. And um, and they're very happy to just go through life. I mean, Carson was credit. I, I don't think he ever resurfaced with any, any broadcast or anything. He just kind of went out on top. All right, and I am in no way comparing myself to the greatest talk show host in history, Johnny Carson, who I loved and still admire, you know, in memory. Um, I I would love to do that. I I have been approached for podcasts. I've been approached for other opportunities, and I don't think I want to do it. I am probably going to write a book, and that's going to probably be the last people hearing me. I don't think I'm going to appear on my old station anymore. At least that's not my plan right now. Um, it's to say, look, this is what I had to offer. I gave it my best for all these years. I don't want to just kind of trail off. So well, I'm going down fighting right to the last day, Doc. And then and then I think that's it. I think it's time for the next voice to come up. And, and you got to step aside. And I've already waited too long to do that. I'm, I'm going to be 72 years old next year. And... Um, my retirement will be like a month before that, a couple of months before that. Um, yeah, it's enough. You know, you, you have to know when it's enough. It's definitely enough for me. This time, um, there's no turning back. Maybe I should have done it four years ago when they last won a championship. Well, what's interesting is you're going to write a book, which obviously that's your background. You know, a great yeah. writer. You wouldn't have been had the jobs you had if you weren't a writer. So it, yeah. it's, it's like full circle for you in a way. Yeah, and um, I think I have a pretty good story to tell because the story I'm going to tell is about all these fans and and how we made idiots of ourselves, um, stood proudly, and everything in between. All the crazy incidents and the wild stuff that happened and um, give an insight into the Philadelphia sports fan that might finally educate the country more than it is right now, Doc, because the country still thinks we're a bunch of boobs here. And this is not that. This is a passionate, sports-loving city like none in America. And somebody has to finally get rid of the throwing snowballs at Santa Claus tropes and all the other stuff that are going on. The basis of sports um, enthusiasm in our city is a love from father to son. 
handed down from generation to generation. And um, it's a, it's an awesome story. And it, I'm going to try to tell it. And if no one picks it up, I'll hand it to my grandkids and say, this is what I did for a living. Now let me sleep. I think you say, <laughs> I think you say it so well, because I think I'm, I'm probably more Phillies and Sixers than Eagles. But I've watched Eagles every game, but I don't go to as many Eagles games. But the yeah. Phillies and the Sixers, I, you know, I think back going to the Spectrum in like 1968 with my dad. You know, I, I, we had Mark Zumoff on the show. I was talking about watching Hal Greer and Will Chamberlain and Wally Jones and and my father saying that's the greatest team you'll ever see. Right. And 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 I remember that. And then you know, taking my son to the All Star game where he got to see. Mike, the end of Michael Jordan's career as a Washington Wizard, miss a dunk on the All-Star game saying he missed. And I said, well, he didn't miss many. And we have those memories. And you're right. It's the memory. My dad's still alive when I think of those games. And I tell my son about him. And you look at your kid and you say, I think he's going to be thinking the same thing long after I'm gone. And that is a legacy. Absolutely. It's ironic for me because I was a, I was six of Fanny when I lived in Providence, Rhode Island growing up. And my father handed down to me a rare situation that I've used pretty much my whole radio career. My father rooted against teams more than for them. He hated the Red Sox. He hated the Celtics. So he taught me he taught me to be a Yankee fan because of the Red Sox. And he taught me to be a Sixers fan because of the Celtics. He was a contrarian. And then I developed a love for Will. That team you're talking about, 67-68, is to me the greatest basketball team that ever lived. It was an amazing – they toppled the dynasty for one year at least with the Celtics. Mm -hmm. But but he handed it down to me, and then I handed it down to my son, who's a Giants fan in Philadelphia, if you'll believe this. <laughs> and we're contrarians. And it's whatever your dad likes, he tends to somehow – keep his legacy going through the next generation. And I think, you know, my, I lost my dad a while back now, about 15 years ago, but I, I, a day never goes by with it. I don't think of him and, and the love he gave me for sports, even though it was a little bit warped in the way he gave it to me. We, dad always would leave to beat the traffic and it was horrible. And I, but uh -huh. <laughs> it's personal hell if I challenged it because a couple times I made him stay, it's screaming the entire time in traffic. So I would just go, all right, you know, we're getting up like two minutes to go. Yep. And it's like a tie score. And he goes, let's get out now. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And, and it's so funny because they're the memories you have. But we yeah. were there. I mean, that's the whole point. You were there and it was time. Mm -hmm. um, in your career, and I want to keep you along because I, I, I like you get up super early in the morning and I want to get your rest. But in your career, um, obviously, you got a lot of national attention from the famous Dirty 30 incident with Donovan McNabb when everybody went up to the draft and, and booed him because they wanted, I guess, Ricky Williams as a right. player. When you look back at that, it, it also was probably a lot of fun in a strange way. And it had a reaction, at least to me. I, I'm not Donovan McNabb, never could play quarterback, but I would have thought you just would have said you rolled with it. But it really got to him, didn't it? It's an amazing thing. It's very perceptive, Doc. Um, we went up there to be a bunch of goofballs. You know, one of the, we had a guy moon a uh, right next to us was we were in a whole bus. We had thirty crazy Eagles fans, and there was a bus of senior citizens left. And he pulled his pants down. He was a huge guy, and he broke the the window of our bus. Wow. 
well. This was not an intellectual exercise we were doing, all right? And what came out of it all these years later is, you saw why Donovan McNabb couldn't win a championship. He was too sensitive. He, he wasn't a great fit for Philadelphia because, all right, they booed him. We weren't even booing him. We were booing this, the pit because we wanted Ricky Williams. And for the rest of his career, 14 great seasons, all he did was reference how he got booed at the draft. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a real champion sheds that, is able to get rid of it, is able at some point to laugh at it. He's still carrying – there are people from those teams now that he was on, those great early 2000s teams, late 1990s teams, who are still his teammates saying what a bad teammate he was. Because anytime anybody – was glorified beyond what he did, he would feel jealousy and he would react not as a teammate, but as an individual. And it was, it, it wasn't intended to be that revealing. And it, it was one of the dumbest acts in recent sports history, but it revealed a lot about him. And it revealed about us that sports is more than just winning and losing. Sometimes it's just having a, a fun afternoon. Well, what we did, it was fun. Well, the thing you're able to do, which obviously he couldn't, because I've seen, I've listened to you on the radio, you can laugh at yourself. If you can laugh at yourself, you can yeah. deflect almost anything. Somebody can attack you aggressively. I've listened to it, and you just start laughing, or you say something, or, you, or you'll drum it up and make it more dramatic, but, but you're not taking it aggressively and seriously in an antagonistic way. You can, in this city, you can't. And a player who does take himself too seriously is not going to make it. He's not going to survive. And B, tremendous. You could see his demeanor. There's a whole fun side to him. He's fit for the city. There's so many others that want Simmons. You ever see him break a smile the whole time he was here? He was miserable here. Couldn't laugh at himself. But if you had heard the early years of my radio career, you would have no choice but to laugh at yourself because it was pretty rough. <laughs> you, but if you don't, if you're not laughing at yourself, it's sports talk. It's not life and death like what you've dealt with. If somebody loses, you still get up the next step. Everybody, every goes goes on. We just use it to rip whoever blew the game for us. Um, if you can't have fun with that, I don't. That's the whole purpose of sports is to get a diversion from real life. I think what you guys did, which was great too, was throughout the pandemic. Um, you provided, and somebody like me who was driving into the hospital, pre-immunizations, pre-vaccine, just wondering if we're all going to make it, basically, along with our patients. You know, it was a, it was some way to deflect the seriousness of things. Because even if I listened to my station, which oh. I was here at Love, and we, it, it was I was even in there like trying to like present facts, but get people on board and educate them. And I know you did a lot of that. Um, your mother, I know you lost to, to, to COVID. Yeah. Uh, it was it, it was a different kind of three months for us because it was more me doing what my journalism background did than doing the goofball sports talk host. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for three months, we didn't have any sports. And we really turned our show into trying to apply the things that we apply to sports to what was going on in our real world. Uh, there was no way to escape reality back then, but... Um, in retrospect, we're proud of how that worked out because we maintained enough of our audience to stay on the air. Mm -hmm. But um, we also invited people to go to people like you, people who knew what they were talking about, had the intricacies of that pandemic, 
please go over, listen there, Dr. McDonough. He knows he knows a lot more about this than we did. We brought some people on like yourself who could help us out with it, but it was a real weird period of time. But um, it was a challenge. You know, it's like anything else. It's a challenge. If I had to do that in the first year or two that I was doing this job, I probably would have bungled that a lot worse than we did. Uh, same with me. I look back yeah. on it. And I stayed out of the political fray. In, yeah. in fact, even when I started, I this whole podcast thing started by just doing a daily report on COVID because I was trying. I said, there's no money. There's no financing. There's no funding. This is free. I'm doing this because I want you to hear somebody who's just objectively going to tell you what they know. There's no secondary gain. And there's like 260 of them out there literally days during the pandemic talking about this or that or something, whatever it was, because I think we needed that at that time. Uh, more than anything, you needed to get the politics out of it, get the the battles, um, you know, and in healthcare, we've seen that. I mean, we saw an HIV, it became politicized. Anytime there's something that gets a lot of attention for whatever reason, people see it as a, as a power grab. But you have to get people to understand that there's the help. That's the more important. They're the ones live and die, whatever. We got dragged in it too, Doc, and it was bad. And and we got out of it because there's two different sides on that issue of whether you should get the vaccine or not get the vaccine. And I'm sure we alienated people. So we really try to avoid it because we're not. A, that's not what we do. You know, politics is not what we do. Politics is not what you do. Um, you inform people about medical issues. And we talk sports and um, we tried as much as we could to stay in our own lane. One, two last questions. One is your favorite player, all the players, it could be a coach, whatever you you've met over this period of time. And obviously you get to know people who would it be? Um, no question. It'll always be Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, and, and it's funny that none of these, all the players I would consider would all predate when I got to know them. <laughs> Because once you know a star player, Doc, it's harder to love them. You see all the see all the things about them that make them human. We can create a hero. Will Chamberlain and me is a hero because I only met him one time. Um, and he was larger than life then too, but I loved watching him play, even though he didn't win as much as Bill Russell or all the other people. But that answer will never change from the time I was a 10-year-old boy watching him in the old arena in Providence, Rhode Island, when he occasionally would play there with the, with the Sixers. Uh, he's my all-time favorite. No one will ever top. He's also the greatest player, basketball player that ever lived. There's, no one will ever convince me otherwise. Yeah, for people who aren't from Philadelphia, there is a gentleman named Sonny Hill who's a wow. basketball legend. But if you hear him any time talk, he will talk about Will Chandler because he saw him, played yeah. against him, you know, knew him, bro, and said – he. He can evaluate all those years. And he right. said, I'm telling you, you know, I mean, obviously there's better equipment and techniques and things, but had he grown up in this environment, he would have had those advantages too. I mean, it's just, he would right. be popping him into this. Um, and then my last question is, I know what you plan to do when you're retiring. What about the rest of this year? Any, um, any big plans just kind of just coming to work and, and do the shows and take it as it comes or anything like that? Well, we got what we're calling throwback Thursdays. We're bringing on people who are part of our show in the past. We've had a few on already, including uh, our original start with uh, Tony Bruno. Yeah. We've had those people on. Um, it's funny. They want to do more than I want to do. And I kind of talked to Ray Didinger because they did a lot with Ray. And toward the end, Ray, Ray was starting to say, I think, this is enough. I don't want to be 
you know, I don't want to call the Vatican and see if they'll put me in as a saint. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, I don't want a lot of it. I know Tom Brookshire had the greatest final show he ever did. And, and there would be no way I would ever match it. But I think the, at least the last week, uh, a lot of the people that have been involved with it, the athletes and stuff like that, I, I, we would like to line them up and kind of say goodbye to them and thank them for their contributions to our show. But Brookie had 34 guests on, Doc, and everyone was A-list. Bobby Knight. Pat Summerall, John Madden. You think of anyone that he ever crossed paths with in his amazing athletic career or broadcast career, they lined up and waited on hold to come on to talk to Tom Brookshire for a few minutes. And, uh, you know, I'll always be indebted to him as well. But I guess out the door to the last person I want to thank, the last person I'm going to thank will be Tom for giving me the opportunity to do what I've been able to do for the last 30 plus years. Um, without him, I would have never had this opportunity. And without his, his teaching early on, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So I guess when all is said and done, my final word will be for him because he gave me this chance. But the less pomp and pageantry, the better. Like I, I just, you know, I make a big deal out of all this sports stuff. It's a lot harder when you're trying to make a big deal out of yourself, especially when you're not a big deal. You're just a fan. And that's what I've become over all these years. Well, I appreciate, first of all, you taking the time to do this, but also all the years of entertainment and informative broadcasts, fun. I mean, I think there's a lot of people like me who want to thank you for the, the career you've put in. It was time well spent, and I think Tom Bouchard did us all a favor by giving you this opportunity. Well, I'm honored to be on. I think you're an awesome physician, and you're great in all the other areas of the media. I really appreciate you giving me this chance. Thank you very much for taking the time. The Dr. Brian McDonough Show